You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Well, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Young Investors Podcast. We are back on video this week. It's we That's always the way it goes, isn't it, Hamish? Where we're like, oh, and guess what, guys? We're going to do video every single week from now on and then the next two weeks. No video. <laughs> yeah, you jinxed us a little bit with the first one that we did on video. And then yeah. uh, what do we take? Two weeks off. Um, yeah, yeah, so now we're yeah. back. We'll do our best. Will we make any promises from this uh, episode? I don't know. <laughs> well, the, the first, it's so unfortunate. Like the first one was unfortunately because Andrew wasn't able to edit the podcast. And by the way, how's yeah. Andrew doing, by the way? Yeah, I think he's doing well. I've, I've spoken to him a little bit. And um, yeah, he's a little bit further out west. So um, a little bit less of an impact yep. um, or direct impact on the ground, at least um, so far. But uh, okay. yeah, I hope you're doing well, Andrew. And of course, yeah, all definitely. of our uh, best wishes go out from us and, and from the audience as well, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, and that was the first week. And then the second week, I was just, oh, what what a pain in the butt that was last week. I was in mm. Adelaide. I had all my equipment to record a good podcast. And, and I should also apologize for like the first 20 minutes of that podcast last week where my audio is just like potatoes. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was just struggling. I was str- and we couldn't figure it out. We tried every mm. setting. We changed things. We kept things. We just tried everything, and the audio just really was struggling last week. It was just a pain in the butt, wasn't it? But sometimes yeah. that's just the way these podcasts happen. We don't have too many that are like that. Normally, we're no. pretty seamless. Yeah, we haven't really had. Yeah, because we, we were talking about it last week. We really haven't had any issues, really, all that much at all um, mm. for for a long time. We've been doing this pretty much week by week. I think we haven't missed a week as well for no. a long time. So. Yeah, it's been very seamless. We're very lucky. We haven't had any corrupted files or anything like that, you know, mm. happening regularly. So, yeah, uh, it's no, been pretty it has, we've been lucky. Yeah, um, and now we're back. So hopefully, fingers crossed. I won't promise anything, but hopefully, we are back with video on the YouTube version of the podcast. Audio should be unaffected, but uh, mm-hmm. hopefully, my audio's good this week. I did check it before, and we we're all fine. Um, but with that said. Um, Lots to talk about today. We're going to talk about the oil situation that's going on. Well, you're going to talk about it because I don't really, <laughs> I don't pay attention to oil. Must be said. A um, <laughs> little bit of CPI stuff. Um, uh, we'll talk mm. about Amazon. They're doing a twenty-for-one stock split, so we'll talk about that. Mm. Um, and maybe another couple of things. There was an executive order from Joe Biden about cryptocurrency, which is quite interesting. Mm. Uh, kind of the US's plan what they're going to do about cryptocurrency. So a lot of people were waiting for that. Um, I wasn't, but <laughs> I know a lot of people were. Uh, and if we get time, we'll talk about a couple other stuff, some uh, yeah, we'll, media and entertainment news, but we'll see if we get to that. We'll see what we get to. We've got a yeah. fairly jam-packed uh, episode today, so it's we'll do bit, our best. Yeah. yeah, but with that said... Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. 
So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically uh, or manually using Excel or one by one. And once you do that, it will track all of the different types of gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans on your index funds or individual stocks, it will do all of those calculations for you, uh, which is a huge lifesaver. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. Uh, and then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used to track performance of your portfolio, as well as used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link, sign up to a free plan, track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want. Or you can also use that link to sign up to a paid plan and get four months off a yearly subscription. So go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we uh, got a comment. I don't know if you remember oh, this. No. We got a comment. Yeah. Um, from Road to Riches Investing. Hamish, how's that barber position? Because it went below $100. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so the, yeah, the story behind that is I think it was probably, <laughs> I think $180 or $160 a share. Somewhere and it had already there. fallen a long way. What was it down from 250 or something like that maybe? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So it already fallen a long way. And I was not interested in the business as taking a deep investment in them. And as a joke, I think I said it on the podcast. I said I would yeah, put 1% did. of my portfolio in. Uh, if it fell below a hundred and yeah, here we go. It's below a hundred. I actually put a little bit go. more than 1% in and I put it in a while ago. Um, I right. put about three or 4% of my portfolio in right. to it. I think at 120 Jeez. or 130. So that's that you've sunk like 15 million into Barber then. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. 50 million. Thank you very much. Oh, sorry. 50. Yeah. Don't <laughs> understate my net worth on camera. Okay. <laughs> No, so uh, I just made a small speculative. It's a speculative investment. It fits within what I would consider like the 5% of my portfolio where I'm happy mm. to kind of play around, have a gamble. Um, and in terms of on the spectrum of gambly investments, it probably leans much closer towards a reasonable investment than a highly yeah. speculative business anyway. So, um, yeah, I think it's that speculative. So, yeah, but I, I actually cannot believe it is below 100. It, that is, I mm. com- That was a complete joke. And it just shows how... You, you really don't know what's going to happen. I think it really speaks to the idea of if you have a list of great businesses and you've done the valuation, some of them are going to say the stock needs to fall 70% or 60% for it to be a buy. Um, and I think that speaks to the point where you might think, when is that ever going to happen? Um, and we're seeing it uh, in Baba. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Baba is down now. It must be over 75%. Yeah, I think, you know, you have a Netflix, which is a a huge American business, I think down over 70%, Facebook down well over 50%. We have a lot of businesses right now that are well below where they were even just six Mm. months ago. And um, yeah, things can change very, very quickly in markets and you've got to be nimble on your feet and ready to go. Alibaba's down 67% from its highs that were back in uh, October 2020. Let's have a look at Facebook. Facebook is now down, well, we'll just take it from their earnings report, uh, down 40%. Oh, 40. Okay, my bad. Jeez. Oh, what did you say? I said 50. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's not far away. What's Netflix? Um, I think Netflix is down significantly as well. I think Netflix has to be over 50%. I don't know. But, oh, wow. We, wow, wow. About we 50%. Yeah. 50%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. <laughs> I saw a funny, uh, co- like, uh, suggested, suggested post on Twitter the other day. It's just like, 
is it okay if my portfolio is 50% meta and 50% barber? Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, lol. But yeah, it, it, it is weird. And we don't want to try and say anything that might, you know, sway your opinion one way or another on any stock. But it is crazy. If you just look at the numbers, just look at the cash flows and do a discounted cash flow analysis, regardless of whether the business is good or bad or mm. has risks or no risks, um, on paper, it's crazy seeing some of these big stocks looking quite cheap at the moment. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, if 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 these stocks are a kind of interesting investments for you, and they're they're stocks that you do believe in, you've had your eye on for a while, then uh, yeah, you've got a got a pretty pretty good opportunity. Yeah. Um, but with that said, um, mm. you want to talk about. Uh, what's what's going on with the whole oil situation around around the world at the moment? Yeah, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying I'm in a very similar position to you, Brandon. In that we neither of us follow oil regularly. Mm. We're not we're not oil investors. I, nope. I don't know much at all about what's going on, except for the headlines that we're reading um, that are substantial. So the headline this week was that uh, oil prices are soaring after US bans imports of Russian oil. So another yeah. big move in, uh, I guess, the uh, the economic conflict that is kind of surrounding uh, the military conflict going on between uh, the Ukraine and Russia at the moment. The US announced a ban uh, which sent the price of crude and Brent oil up to $128 and $130 a barrel. It's pretty funny, actually. It wasn't. What was it 2020 when there was a uh, mm. the futures were negative? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's right. It was crazy. Yeah. So mm. it, it's 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 an amazing kind of. Um, it's been a crazy market, the oil market, and we we don't really watch it all that closely. But it's just no. been. It went. It was about sixty dollars a barrel, I think, pre 2020. It went negative, uh, and then it went back up to 60, 80, 90, and now we're over a hundred. Well, close to one hundred and thirty for both types of of uh of the oil which is um kind of crazy yeah uh, at the same time we kind of had a flow-on effect from some other regions some other nations also uh making some decisions around russian oil as well so the uk and eu plan to phase out uh some russian oil and gas imports by the end of the year so they haven't mm. been as aggressive as the us the us said we're banning imports uh, the EU just said we're gonna we're gonna work on it. We'll phase it out towards the end of the year. And the key reason behind that is because uh, the EU is very reliant on Russia for oil and gas. Twenty five percent of EU uh, oil comes from Russia, and about forty five percent of their gas comes from Russia. So, sheesh, they're heavily reliant, and it kind of makes sense. They can't uh, they can't be as aggressive, or it would absolutely cripple. Uh, the prices of those commodities for for mm. everyday consumers, and that's really the the end impact that we're seeing. We're seeing petrol prices rise all around the world, um, mm. and at a at an insane rate. Have Have you seen in Canberra have have petrol prices just skyrocketed? Yeah, I well, on, honestly, I was a little bit oblivious to it because I don't pay for petrol anymore, so I kind of <laughs> have have, bi- have bypassed that uh, that equation. Wow, look at you, um, Mister yeah, Mister Green. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I looked the other day and uh, petrol's like almost two dollars mm. a liter. I don't know what it's like where you are, but I imagine it's probably about the same. Yeah, I think it was about two twenty was the average across uh, across Melbourne. I feel like I saw that on the news, which is kind really? of quite high. I think pre this last week, I think it was about a dollar eighty. So um, pretty substantial Crazy. increase, which is uh, 
which is uh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's just it's just uh, it's something a good, we good advertisement to for driving EVs though, or for buying EVs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. For, for context, like I don't want to like seem like I'm on my high horse over here. Look at me, I've got a Tesla kind of thing. But to to get to charge my car at home will cost me about fifteen dollars. That'll get me like five hundred kilometers ish, maybe a little bit really? less. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. it was actually that different. Mm. That's that's actually crazy. That, that- if I go to the supercharger, I'll end up paying so I think somewhere like between twenty five and thirty dollars, I think. But they don't okay. they don't really want you they want the superchargers not to be like regular charging. They no, want it to be charging for road on the trips. road kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they want you to charge it at your house. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you think of, you think about it. What would five five hundred k's of petrol cost? What would five hundred k's of mm. you know electricity cost? And it starts to you know, and this is the argument. And this is what yeah, Brandon. But you know, I don't have the money to put towards an electric vehicle because they're still so expensive. That's still the problem. Obviously, EVs still need to get cheaper. But you do have to do a little bit of you know future planning in your head. Okay, if I'm going to spend a hundred bucks a week on petrol or whatever you spend on petrol, mm. you know how much are you going to save just by charging it with electricity? And over time, how much is that going to save you? And and clearly at the moment, not saying this is going to be the new normal for petrol prices, but at the moment, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty strong advertisement for EVs, I guess. But uh, yeah, I I think for someone like me, it would be much less of a a difference because I really don't drive anywhere. Um, But but for the average person who's commuting to, to work, for example, every single day or whatever it is, then um, or dropping the kids off at school every single day, two times a day kind of thing, then yeah, it, it can, that's, that's crazy. I didn't realize it was actually such a big difference. You definitely yeah, have to factor in the ongoing costs. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't paid for servicing once. They don't need servicing. You know, occasionally you get your wheels rotated. You might get your brakes checked or something like that, but there's no oil. So there's no oil changes, nothing like that. So you save a lot of money in, in a lot of different ways, but it's, it's very interesting. There's just, mm two different philosophies and do two different kind of expense profiles, electric vehicles, the expenses at the start and then not after that. Whereas the other way around for ICE vehicles, there's a lower expense at the start, but more expense after the fact. So yeah, it's, mm. it's interesting, mm. but yeah, crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. Going a little bit off topic, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Uh, it's, pretty ins- insane that uh, that oil prices have gone up so much but it does kind of show you how you know how how much I, I guess economic power the oil producers have it's like oh if there's an embargo if, if one of if we lose one of them then this is the kind of impact for everyday consumers it's kind of crazy yeah and speaking on that impact there's a lot of concern right now that Russia will actually retaliate. Um, by stopping sending oil to the EU. So mm. um, that's kind of up in the air at the moment. What will Russia do? Of course, Russia is dependent on those oil exports for their economy significantly. I want to say, I don't know the percentage actually, so I won't say, but it, it's it's a significant chunk of their their uh, their revenue, which comes in is, is from oil. So um, whether they'll be able to re- retaliate, I don't know. But uh, the president of uh, Lipau Oil Associates said that uh, Russia, if Russia did retaliate by stopping sending oil to the EU, then that alone could send prices up another twenty-five to thirty dollars a barrel, Whoa. which would bring the price to you know one fifty-five, one sixty a barrel, which is uh, wow. which is kind of crazy. So that kind of shows you how much of an impact a move like that could have, and how much 
money is and how much oil really is flowing between Russia and the EU and then and then these other nations as well. So mm. it's uh that's pretty that's pretty insane. Yeah, it, it's uh it's very it's very concerning to watch. I think uh, I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but whenever I see all of this, I just get I just get um I start hearing Ray Dalio in my ear about the 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 threat of stagflation, which is something that he's spoken about even before any of this was going on. Um stagflation being a period of high inflation but slow real economic growth. So um nominal economic growth could still be significant and that will be driven by inflation um but after factoring in in after taking out inflation uh if economic growth is 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 in decline if it's not growing um then we could be entering a period of stagflation um and that doesn't seem i think out of the realm of possibility uh we have prices surging on everything i'll talk about uh inflation numbers that are coming out for for february in just a second uh but price surges are being driven by essential categories like food and and now petrol, now oil. Um, Mm. Plus, on top of that, if you add in the fact that interest rates are going to be going up or should be going up to combat some of that inflation, then those are three things, food, petrol, and housing, uh, that people really can't cut back in a substantial way, which means they have to cut back in other areas. Uh, And uh, I think that's, uh, that's definitely... A threat uh, mm. that we we could see a period like that, and it's it's that's the worst kind of period you want to see because then we get into that situation where the Fed has to decide: do they save the economy by lowering interest rates and doing monetary stimulus by printing money and, and buying assets, uh, or do they stop inflation by raising interest rates? But that would further impact businesses, cause more layoffs, cause higher mortgage rates. So. It's a bit of a pickle and we're not quite there yet, um, but uh, we, we, we may very well be heading towards that. And that's kind of concerning. Hello, everybody. Uh, Brandon from the future here. Sorry to splice in this little bit of audio, but I thought that I would do this because actually what I went on to say after Hamish finished talking there, I realized after the fact actually had an error in it. So what I was about to say anyway is that uh, I definitely agree with what Hamish was talking about, but it was very interesting to see that on Wednesday, uh, WTI crude tumbled 12% and, uh, and Brent crude tumbled 13%. So pretty much what I was talking about. It's just it's crazy how volatile uh, crude oil prices are at the moment. I mean, we're seeing obviously all of the factors that Hamish was talking about, which are leading to the inflation of uh, the of, of fuel prices and of, of crude oil prices. But it's crazy to see that also in a day, you can see like a 13% reduction. There was so much uh, worry about this idea of Russia uh, just going, you know what? You know, we we don't like what you're doing at the moment, US, UK and EU. So we're actually going to stop our exports and then see how you like that, Europe, because as Hamish was saying, Europe is very dependent on Russian oil. Uh, So that was obviously causing the the price to rise. But interestingly, uh, the day that the crude oil dropped by 13%, there was actually word out of uh, the UAE, which is, of course, a member of OPEC, uh, saying that they would be open to increasing their production. Um, And I think Iran also uh, signaled that they would be happy to increase production as well if OPEC Plus uh, were to were to ask for it. Now, the interesting thing about this whole story, and this is really where a lot of the unpredictability comes in, is that um, 
Russia is a part of OPEC+. Plus. OPEC+, Plus is, of course, the big alliance between many uh, oil-producing nations to uh, control the amount of oil that goes onto the market. So, in a way, uh, if OPEC were to turn around and say that they were okay with increasing the production of crude oil, they would kind of be stabbing Russia in the back because Russia is a part of that OPEC plus alliance. But I mean, really, the the point that I was making uh, in the bit that I've now deleted out of the podcast is that it's crazy just how volatile oil is at the moment. And I think it's we can go back to something like uh, Warren Buffett's idea of the too hard pile. It's it's perfectly okay. I think we as investors we know when we see an event happen, whatever it is, um, we we feel like we want to act. We want to take advantage of this event. We get trained to make investments based on events that cause sudden price fluctuations. But I think it's also worth remembering that it's okay to chuck things in the too hard pile. And I think when I look at oil, the fact that there's day by day news that's causing the price to either jump or fall 10, 15%, 13%, I think for me personally, this one goes straight on the too hard pile. Maybe maybe you're different. Maybe you're an oil expert. Uh, Maybe you've studied OPEC in great detail. Potentially, I I don't know, but I think for me anyway, it definitely goes on the too hard pile. But anyway, with that said, that is the reason why oil suddenly dropped 13%. uh, And now I'll uh, go back to, I I guess I'll go back to us. All right. See you later. Yeah. And and from a value investor portfolio perspective, none of these things should be influencing your investment decisions, except if they... Uh, open up the opportunity for you to get in a good business at a at a better price. That's that's mm. really what it is. It, it's it's of course it's important to kind of keep up to date with what is going on, and these things have real impacts outside of the financial markets. The oil prices has certainly has significant um, impacts on 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 the, the cost of living for people. Um, but from your investment perspective, I'm not making any moves based on what's going on with oil or or, or really anything at all that's happening in the news at the moment. So, yeah. Mm. Yep. All right. Where to, Hamish? All right. Should we should we talk about inflation? I think we should. Um, oh, of course. We so, haven't spoken about it in a week. So. No. Yeah. It's been <laughs> <laughs> it's been a whole week. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, so we, what's going on? Yeah. Well, so by the time you're listening to this podcast, the the uh, February inflation numbers will be out. So we don't know. We're in the dark again. Oh, so we're going to miss it again. We're going to we're going to make another prediction. Um, but uh, just to give you the headlines uh, for where, what we're kind of up to date, I guess this is kind of pointless though. I guess if you can just read the headline you and see just, what the inflation is. Yeah. But um, last month in January, we had a 0.6% increase, uh, 7.5% year over year. Economists are expecting February to be 0.7 and reach 7.8%. So... That's what they're expecting a day before it happens. Let's see how accurate they are. Uh, maybe they'll get it right. They, they were pretty close last month, kind of. Yeah. Not really. But uh, Jeez. But yeah, do we, do, should we make a prediction? So, economists are saying 0.7 on know. the month and 7.8. I know you I don't mean, know. Neither of us know, but let's make it. No, I, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I feel like that sounds about right. I think that inflation is still... I don't think it's going to start going down. It doesn't seem, not that I follow this particularly closely, but it doesn't seem like any of our inflation issues are are really going away. In fact, they've yeah. probably got worse over the past yep. month or so with what everything that we've been talking about. So, yeah, I probably would tend to agree with um, 
with the Economist, but I don't know. Okay, let, let's assume. I, let's let's. I'm going to say eight percent, just because. Okay. I kind of want it to be shocking. Okay. <laughs> Some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Seriously, who would have thought though? If it if it was if it, imagine if it came out tomorrow and they were like, yeah, we're at eight percent annual inflation. Yeah, we we messed That's, up big time. It's seventeen <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, I know that we talk about that that other scenario, but imagine if they just kept, man, that kind of worries me a little bit. But yeah. Yeah, anyway, I, I probably yeah, I probably agree with you. Probably, yeah, I, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll say eight percent. Nah, it's boring. Actually, I'll no, say seven you, point. Tell you what, say, say seven point nine. Yeah. because that's what they would do. Because they'll be like, guys, inflation just hit eight percent, and then they go, can we can we just tick it down by point one so that it's still in the sevens? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they do the price the retail pricing strategy. Yeah. seven ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Inflation going cheap now, seven ninety nine. <laughs> Definitely not eight. It's seven ninety nine. My goodness. Um, yeah, but there's kind of the, the big news, I guess, around inflation is that uh, all of this this oil impact has happened in March. So this none of this will really be seen, or and most of oh, it won't be right. seen in uh, in February. Which means that uh, inflation. What's March going to be? Inflation is now expected to be in March a year over year of nine percent, which is uh, it's getting up there. Um, Wow! It wasn't all that long ago. We're at four five percent, and you know, getting anywhere near ten seemed just no. That's not going to happen. But here we're we're getting very close to it. So we'll see. I mean, that's two months out. Economists can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow. So, um, you know, we'll we'll take that with a pinch of salt. But uh, yeah. yeah. And then next week, uh, we'll be able to talk about uh, what the Fed did at their meeting. So uh, whether they'll raise interest rates, they're expected to raise 0.25%. But whether they'll do that or 0.5 or nothing, we will see next week. Mm. So lots of fun stuff to look forward to in the economy. <laughs> it's very depressing. That's the sad thing about the, this podcast, really. Over the last little while, this has just been like. And this week on the Young Investors Podcast, more stuff goes wrong in the world economy. <laughs> it's been yeah, it's been a rough couple of years for the human race. <laughs> I tell you what, I mean, yeah. uh, we've had the pandemic, and we've got yeah. this war going on, and we've got inflation, and we've got oil prices surging. It's like the in Australia we had really bad bushfires like a few years and the ago. Bushfires. Now that seems like a distant memory. Yeah. We've got the floods like, going on. Yeah, there's floods at the moment. There's yeah, political unrest. There's war. There's inflation. There's just the whole oh yeah 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 yeah. Can we just have a period of just chill? Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. It's a changing world order, as Ray Dalio would say. Yeah, it's a new paradigm. New paradigm paradigm shift. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, we need something happy to talk about. Yeah, I've got something happy to talk about. Uh, The Batman came out last week. Have you? Oh, did you see it? Did you? I did actually see it. I really enjoyed it. I'm a sucker for really good coloring in a movie, like visuals. Uh, Yeah, you like a nice. Nice color grade on it. Yeah, and it's it's got really good like nineteen seventies Gotham CGI, and it is just unbelievable to look at. And right, the story's okay. good as well. But I'm a sucker for a really good soundtrack, really good cinematic soundtrack, and yep. good visuals. And yep. uh, it is probably it has to be the highest budget movie 
ever, I think. You're I don't know. It, wow. it was, I think they spent, I think it was, I want to say 200 million was the budget. Oh, I don't know. Let's have a look. I think it was, uh, I think it was pretty significant. But uh, of course, after 185 to 200 million uh, was the budget for that movie. So they put in a little bit of go. money. They put some money into it. Just a little splash of cash. Mm. How did uh, how'd Cedric Diggory go? Yeah, so uh, yeah, he was good. Yeah, so uh, was good. Yeah, so the, over the weekend, unbelievable weekend. They did uh, 134 million in North America uh, in box office sales, uh, and globally in total, they did 258 million dollars, which is the second post pandemic. Second highest post pandemic release. Uh, sorry, the second post pandemic release hitting over a hundred million. Right. Dollars, so, two fifty on the opening weekend is high. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was. It was maybe I think top thirty. I want to say or something like that. Top of 40 all time. Of all time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's done unbelievably well. Obviously, people are probably a lot of people who haven't been out still kind of going out to the cinema maybe for the first time or for the first couple of times since the pandemic. So. Um, mm. it was, uh, it was kind of sitting on the back of that, but, uh, uh, it also, uh, also Warner brothers, uh, uh, it was kind of the first exclusive release from Warner brothers in, uh, theaters after all of their 2021 releases came out simultaneously on HBO max. I didn't actually know they oh, did that. Me neither. Which is, uh, <laughs> which, yeah, they, they kind of dump them on them. Here, here's our content. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. Enjoy. See you later. See you next year. Yeah, I wasn't aware they did that. Which, yeah, I guess that's kind of a smart move. But now they're they're they're, remo- they're moving back to doing uh, 45 days exclusively at theaters uh, before they will move to, to HBO Max. So there's a little bit of a window. But uh, mm. yeah, content's moving quickly onto streaming services, even. You know, 45 Very, days yeah. is not a long time um, to be able to then as just a subscriber of HBO Max to be able to get access to that movie. So, very interesting. Mm. Remember the days when you used to, you know, you had a window of opportunity mm. to go see a movie at the theaters and then after that you had to wait. Yeah. You had to, you could, you, there was no way of seeing that movie until you got the DVD release. Yeah. It, and you just yeah. had to wait for it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, it would be so long, and then once it, you would go to Video Easy or Blockbuster, and it would be the as soon as it came out, it would be like eight to twelve bucks to yeah. to rent it anyway. So that was yeah. kind of insanely expensive. Yeah, <laughs> you had to wait a number of months before it got down to the three, four, five dollar range, and and Mum would finally say yes. <laughs> All right, there you go. Here's your three dollars. Yeah, go but for it. It actually is interesting because we're kind of moving out of the world of using box office dollars as a measure of how successful a show is to probably watch minutes or number of households is probably what we're going to see um, going forward, which is what Netflix does exclusively because they don't do... Well, they do. They actually did a couple of theatrical releases. They uh, released the first part of the uh, uh, Kanye West um, documentary in theaters, which is kind of an interesting move, but... Mm. The vast majority of, of Netflix content, of course, does not come out in theaters. Um, so they just measure everything by how many minutes um, people watched. And that seems to be what's going to happen over time. Um, mm. And that'll be that'll be interesting because then we'll also be able to see somewhat of a comparison between the performance of these huge movies and like a YouTube channel, right? Because mm. you can measure a YouTube the, the performance of a YouTube video or an entire channel uh, on on watch minutes. So everything's kind of consolidating in a way, which is uh, yeah. which is interesting to see. 
Yeah. Well, it makes sense that you can't judge it because Netflix is subscription. It's like I don't have a subscription to the to the cinema where mm. I can just go. Yeah. So they have to. They can't judge it by by a financial metric like ticket sales. So they have to judge mm. it by just looking at what content is most popular based on how many people have have clicked on it and how long they're watching for. Same as YouTube, and then they use that to 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 uh, make decisions on where they put the money that they get from their membership. So it does make sense. But yeah, it is interesting seeing that. I think box office is very legacy. Yeah. I, I think it's less and less relevant. Um, yeah. Especially with the rise of streaming services. But yeah, I'm long story short, I'm glad the Batman is good. I need to go see it. Mm. I'm not a huge like Marvel or Warner Brothers or, or I'm not kind of a huge fan. Like Star Wars is my jam, but the other mm. ones I never really got into, probably because I was watching Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I do. I, I I am happy that the Batman is getting good reviews. I don't mind yeah. a good Batman movie. Yeah, I, I'm not huge into into comic book movies either, as well. Mm. I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you the backstory or anything like that. And yeah, I'm not keeping yeah. up to date with all of the different Marvel movies or anything like that. But um, yeah, it was a good one. It's long. It's three hours, so you got to strap yeah, yourself that. in. Get Jeez. some. You have to get some snacks to yeah. to, to survive through that. But. Yeah, it didn't feel that long, honestly, to me. Um, yeah, I reckon that's good. the first two and a half hours went quite quickly. The last half an hour, I think, is always kind of you always just wanted to, to get it done. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my mate who works in the industry. It was like back in the day, you know, things were so long that they had the intermission break, and then it got shorter. And now the trend is reversing again. Everything's <laughs> getting longer again. It's got well, soon enough. We're going to need an intermission again. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I tend to. I don't know. I, I tend to binge watch TV shows at home anyway. So that's probably yeah. me basically watching a three to five hour movie just in one sitting. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People yeah. don't realize they think, oh, three hours for a movie is so long, but they'll watch three, epi- three one hour episodes of yeah. a show back Easy. to back to back. Yeah. 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 Um, but there you go. Anyway, should, should we right. move on? Yeah. What have we got? All right. Uh, we'll talk about Amazon for a bit. Oh. So Amazon are doing a 20 for one stock split and they're doing a $10 billion buyback. So Whoa. Amazon announced its first stock split since the dot-com boom, telling investors on Wednesday they'll receive 20 shares for each share they currently own. Uh, the stock soared 6% on the news, Ooh. which is uh, pretty ridiculous because stock splits, they don't do anything. Yeah. Um, I hope but there I, you go. Yeah, I hope that six percent increase is related to the buyback and not people thinking that the stock split does anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's just say that. Although, for some reason, buybacks—just a general trend over the last couple of years—buybacks have led to an increase in share prices. Mm. I think Apple did one. Did Google? No, Google hasn't done one. It was Apple. Tesla did one. Google's planning on doing theirs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I think the Apple and the Tesla stock split just, I don't know why, but just sent the stock up because stock splits, they don't, they literally, they, they don't have a material impact. It does no. nothing. It's the same. It just means you get more shares and because you get more shares, the share price falls in, it goes like that. But net, you're still exactly the same. So it has no reason to move. But yeah, very interesting. So mm. it says, were the sp- were the split uh, to happen as of Wednesday's close, the cost of each share would go from $2,785 to $139. Um, and yeah, each, ex- each existing holder would get 19 additional shares for everyone that they own. Hmm. 
Um, Amazon joins, oh, this is, probably says it right here. Amazon joins a parade of highly valued tech companies pulling down the price of each share through a split. Google parent Alphabet announced a 20 for 1 split in February. Uh, Mid 2020, Apple disclosed plans for a 4 for 1 stock split. Tesla told investors it was uh, going through a 5 for 1 stock split. So, yeah, and then it even says here stock splits are cosmetic and do not (laughs) fundamentally change anything about the company other than possibly making the shares accessible to a large number of investors because of the cheaper price. But even that's not really an issue because like 80, no. 90% of the market is institutional and they've got millions, if not billions and billions of dollars to sink in. So yeah. a share price of $130 versus $2,700 doesn't make a difference to them. Yeah, I would be mm-hmm. extremely surprised if that made a substantial no. difference. Um, maybe- and all, Sorry. All I was going to say is maybe you would get something of an effect of where the stock might be less volatile- if you l- didn't do stock splits because, yeah. you know, take something like Berkshire Hathaway's Class A shares, um, that stock is, you know, that if you if you sell a share, it's a significant chunk of your wealth if you're, a, if you're an owner. You're not trading that. No, you're not trading in and out of it. So maybe yeah. there's something there with that, but no, I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know why they more, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I guess yeah, it does make either. it more accessible to people. Whether it has an impact on the stock is another thing. But just to give more people an opportunity to to get in on the company, I, I guess is is a good that's thing. That's what I that's what I always say. But at the same time, to kind of go for a rebuttal against that. Mm. Most brokers these days, it used to be rare, but most brokers just do fractional share trading now. That's true. Yeah. So most brokers you can buy a tenth of a share. So Mm. But yeah, you're right. That's that's yeah, that's that's what I was thinking as well. Is mm. that just accessibility? But anyway, so that's the stock split side of the news. Um, then we've also got uh, the company saying that it's going to buy back up to ten billion worth of shares. Uh, I don't know Amazon that well, but it doesn't look particularly cheap to me. I mean, it's cheaper than what it was. You remember when we were talking about Amazon used to have like a PE of like 180 or something? <laughs> Do you remember the days when we were talking yeah. about that? Yeah. Right now it's, it's still expensive. It's got a P of like 50. But I don't think it's particularly cheap. Um, so I would question, and obviously, I don't know. I'm not invested in Amazon. I don't know it in depth. So maybe you can have a, a good rebuttal to what, what, what I say here. But um, I would question whether this is value adding or value destroying if they did buybacks at the current price. Yeah, I, I don't know for sure. I know that. Uh, when I first looked at Amazon very briefly a while ago, you're right, it did have that insanely high PE, I think like 250 or something like that. Um, and a con- a bit of a consequence of that, part of it was because the stock was very, very attractive and, and it was a high-flying growth stock. But also part of it was Bezos uh, purposefully uh, using the income statement to, to make investments uh, in, in R&D and these other aspects that you can expense on the income statement. So the their net income was artificially low, which is why the okay, PE okay. moved down significantly and their bottom line has had massive growth. So that did have an impact, but I don't know the business well enough from a valuation perspective to know whether a 43 PE is reasonable. Mm. Um, on the surface, of course, it, it does not look reasonable. I, I think you would, mm. you would struggle on, uh, for, for most companies. Um, to, to just to justify 43 PE, but uh, who knows? I, I don't really know. But yeah, you're right. It, it could be value destroying. Um, really, just depends on on what the cash flows of, of Amazon are 
in the future and, and whether they're significantly higher than what the stock price is today. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of went down that rabbit hole. So I was like, okay, if this is value destroying, then naturally the next thing you do is you think, okay, wait a second, Jassy, new CEO, mm. you know, compensation. So a lot of the a lot of CEOs, their compensation is tied to earnings per share. And if you do a lot of buybacks, so if you clear a lot of shares off the table, but you maintain your earnings, then your earnings per share can be higher. Mm. So I was like, hmm, okay, is he doing that? So I had a little bit of a look at their uh, their uh, proxy statement, and I actually I don't think I don't think he's doing he's doing anything mm. dodgy um, to okay. try and inflate inflate the earnings per share or, or, or the stock price or anything like that. So uh, I essentially found that their executive compensation at Amazon consists of base salary. And then periodic grants of um, uh, uh, stock stock awards. So just uh, and it doesn't seem to be performance based stock awards either. It actually seems to be just time based right. stock awards. So you know they would make an agreement in 2022 for a vesting schedule of stock over the next say six or seven years. Um, so it says here that they're, most of their executives' the base salary is like 175000 That's the same for Jassy. Uh, and then he, in terms of the, the restricted stock units, he has 48,000 units of stock that have not vested at the end of 2020. Um, they receive stock-based awards every other year, and most awards vest over six to seven years. But it's not tied – It well, yeah. from what I saw from reading through their proxy statement, it doesn't seem tied to a performance metric right. um, yeah. or, a to- or a total shareholder return or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, it's it's in their best interest to, you know, the, for the stock price to go up over time and you yeah. can argue, oh, maybe if they have better EPS numbers, it make the stock price look better or whatever. Um but it doesn't seem like there's any sort of foul play to try and inflate um, EPS yeah. by doing buybacks. Yeah. What, one thing you can kind of check with these time-based um, plans is what is the management team's behavior when they acquire these shares over time? Because it's not influenced, as you said, by performance. So, they're just getting regular uh, influx of shares. Um, are they holding mm. all of those shares? Are they selling most of them and, and cashing out immediately? Um, or are they accruing ownership, which is what the plan is supposed to do? But yeah, I, I, I definitely, I don't know how I feel about uh, time-based uh, uh, vesting of these restricted stock units. I would certainly prefer, I think, if there was a significant portion tied to some fundamental parts of the business, whether it's revenue yeah. growth or, or uh, whatever it is, uh, EPS or, or, or cash flow or return on invested capital is also a common one that um, mm. can measure the management's effectiveness. So I, I always kind of think, why is there not a variable component in there based on, on that? And I get mm. that over the long term, you want the management team to be aligned with the shareholders, which will ultimately um, be measured by how the stock performs but um and and it looks like six to seven years vesting is is a long period so they're not kind of earning a lot um in the short term which is good but yeah yeah Uh, i think it was like 11 or in 2020 he had eleven thousand stock units vest right it's like i don't know how that goes year by year but um 
Yeah. Yeah. Eleven. If it was eleven thousand each year, I mean, it's still a lot, obviously, just in absolute terms. But it's probably not as high as what it potentially could be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would certainly still prefer to see some some variable uh, component based on performance. Oh, definitely. That's, uh, that's, yeah. Because I mean, ultimately, that's the best measure of how the stock will perform over the long term. If the underlying business is doing very very well, uh, yeah. then uh, then the stock, as a consequence of that, will do well. Um, whereas the stock can be manipulated by moves like sherry purchases. So yeah. um, it's not always actually the best measure of whether the management team is doing things in the best interest of, of shareholders. So Yeah. Hmm. Okay, that's pretty much all I had to say about that one. Um, so right. should we mosey on down to this cryptocurrency Cryptocurrency that's going on? Um, so obviously not particularly relevant. We're not huge into cryptocurrency, but... Uh, probably a lot of you guys that listen might might be interested in it. And uh, there was a big question mark over what Joe Biden was going to do about cryptocurrencies. And uh, a lot of cryptocurrencies uh, were kind of, their price was hanging on the edge depending on the result of this, uh, this executive order. So anyway, Joe Biden uh, signed an executive order on Wednesday calling on the government to examine the risks and benefits of cryptocurrencies. It's a long-awaited directive that has had the crypto industry on edge, not least due to growing regulatory concern around the world surrounding uh, digital asset markets. There has been reports of a divide between White House officials and Treasury Secretary Secretary Janet Yellen, uh, leading to delays in the policy rollout. The crypto market got wind of the executive order overnight after the Treasury accidentally put out a since-deleted statement calling it historic and releasing some of the details ahead of time. Uh, The order was finally signed Wednesday. It calls on federal agencies to take a unified approach to regulation and oversight of digital assets, according to a White House fact sheet. So, I'll go into a little bit of detail. It's essentially just uh, the the measures announced Wednesday will focus. So it's going to focus on six key areas: hmm. uh, consumer and investor protection, then financial stability, then illicit activity, then U.S. competitiveness on a global stage, then financial inclusion, and then responsible innovation. So I think this is kind of. Uh, it's not really a make or break kind of executive order. It's kind of just like, all right, guys, unified, we're looking into it now kind of thing. (laughs) Um, However, people were nervous because, you know, obviously China has banned crypto mining. They're cracking down on it. Yeah. So crypto investors were concerned that the US might have done something similar. But- they were actually quite positively uh, reinforced by this is that actually it seems as though the US is not looking to follow China's approach, but they are trying to uh, embrace it, but doing their due diligence about the risks and the benefits of, you know, cryptocurrencies. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Some of the things Mm. that got brought up was... uh, uh, in, in terms of consumer protection, it wants regulators to ensure sufficient oversight and safeguard against any systemic financial risks imposed by digital assets. Uh, in terms of illicit activity, the president called for, quote, an unprecedented focus of coordinated action from federal agencies in mitigating illicit finance and national security risks posed by cryptocurrencies. He's also urging international collaboration on the issue. 
Then in terms of US competitiveness, uh, Biden has tasked the Department of Commerce with establishing a framework to drive US competitiveness and leadership in and leveraging of digital asset technologies. And then the last kind of quote that the article had is in terms of responsible innovation, Biden also dropped a mention of the sheer energy cost baked into digital currencies like Bitcoin. He wants government to study ways to uh, make crypto innovation more responsible, reducing any negative climate impacts. Mm. So they're just some of the things, uh, a lot of kind of government wish-wash nonsense, <laughs> you know, oh, we're going to do something about it. Oh, we're going to have a look at doing something about it, but. Yeah, you know, I think overall the reaction was positive, and in fact, Bitcoin jumped eight percent after the news. So wow, there you go. Yeah, I guess they've just got to keep an eye on it. I, I think because obviously currency is is one of those things that the U.S. government has significant control over, and and that has its its pros and cons. But um, you know, being able to 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 influence it in order to revive the economy during tough economic times and, and slow down the economy during hot times is is one of the benefits. And if they lose that to a currency that they can't control, then um, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I think Ray Dalio thinks that's very unlikely to happen. So I'm sure they're kind of just watching it it, it closely. But um, yeah, it's I mean, crypto is just the wild west still. There are so many. Yeehaw. There's just. <laughs> No, not yeehaw. <laughs> no, there's just, uh, it's just so, there's just so many scams. And I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess that's always just going to be the case. But um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's crazy at the moment. There's a big uh, lawsuit going on at the moment with uh, with Jake Paul. He's uh, really? being sued significantly because he did a number, he promoted a number of cryptocurrency uh, projects. He didn't disclose that he was being paid for those projects, and right. he collected, I think, about four million dollars or something. So, wow. um, and it's all there on the blockchain. <laughs> you can't hide yep. from it. So, exactly. Yeah, it's. Uh, we're starting to see. I, I think some um, people who are doing some dodgy stuff in in crypto, promoting these projects, and then just rug pulling pulling money out. We're seeing mm. some of it kind of come off, but. It's still just, yeah, it's it's very, everyone's moving very, very slowly on on this space. Mm. So. And uh, I mean, our exposure to it as well is you know, like the YouTube comment section, so many Bitcoin scams. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. And then, you know, people fall for it and they send these Bitcoin to, I don't know, who they think is Hamish Hodder or who <laughs> they think is, you know, Graham Stephan, but is not. And then- all of a sudden, they go, oh, you know, well, someone stole my Bitcoin. Uh, how do I get it back? This is not right. Well, uh Yeah. Decentralized. Well, we can't do anything about it. Yeah. Interestingly, they also floated, Joe Biden's also floated the idea of a US dollar cryptocurrency. So, I don't quite, don't know how that would work, but- there you go. They're floating the idea. I don't know. I'm no currency expert. <laughs> I'm no currency. This, this podcast has been like, I'm no oil expert. I'm no inflation expert. Don't know what's going on there. I'm no currency expert. But the Batman was good. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, Pretty much. Uh, any more to say on that? Or- no, I, I don't think so. I don't know. I never really have anything to say on crypto. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I'm, wish, I'm- I wish I had more of an interest in it. But I, 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 I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's not that we hate Bitcoin. It's not that we hate crypto or anything. It's just a non-productive asset that we're not interested in. Do you own gold? Do I own gold? Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. So, same. It's yeah. like, oh, gold market's going all over the place. Oh, okay. I don't. It's a non-productive asset. I don't invest in it. Don't know anything about it. Sorry. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Um, all right. Uh, do you want to do some Q&A? Yeah, let's... Uh, we got a couple. We got what? We did six six minutes left or seven minutes left or something yeah, we got like a few that. minutes. I think we got a... Hey, here's, here's a big pressing question. Uh, I don't know. Have I asked you this one already? This is a, this is a very big question, Hamish. Oh, uh, yeah. are you sure you want to do this? How, how far will tech stocks fall? <sighs> all right, let me just get it out. Hang to on. three decimal places. <laughs> that can't be right. Hang on. <laughs> this is saying 80%. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Oh, okay, I'll ask, you, um, I'll ask you a proper one. <laughs> um, do you have any recommendations on material for learning more about when and why to sell stocks? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. How do you go yeah. about... Yeah, how how what's what's kind of your general thinking when it comes to or what's your logical thought process when it comes to when and why would you sell a stock? Yeah, my thought process about selling is basically just the inverse of of buying. So if a business when I'm buying a stock, a business has to meet all of the key Buffett principles, so a business we understand one with competitive advantages, great management team, and selling significantly below fair value or intrinsic value. So, just the inverse of that is some of the reasons why I would consider selling a stock. So, uh, some occasionally businesses will start in one industry and they might adopt a, a new industry. So, a lot of businesses in tech at the moment are moving into cloud, for example. If you don't understand cloud and it becomes a big part of the business that is going to influence how that business will perform in the future, it's future profits, then you you need to be able to understand that new business. So, um, in my view, if you don't understand that business, if you can't wrap your head around it, then that would be a business that no longer satisfies that first requirement. And then the same thing kind of just applies across the four key areas. So, if the management team changes, you need to reassess the management team. Are they still effective at investing within the business? Do you have a track record that you can look at to see, yes, this manager is a good, uh, can allocate capital effectively over time? Um, and, you know, the same thing applies for, for competitive advantages. So, I guess in terms of material, I would probably say still the best material is to go through Berkshire Hathaway's annual letters, uh, either just going through them one by one or read something like the essays of Warren Buffett, which gives you kind of a consolidated look at the principles that he talks about over many, many decades that he's written those letters. So that's where I think you'll find uh, the best uh, material on on when and why to sell. Mm. Yeah, I think what you say is 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 hundred percent correct. I just think the two reasons. You buy, you buy, it's exactly what you said. It's the inverse of buying. So you buy when you found a wonderful company and it's at a margin of safety price. And you sell a company when it's no longer a wonderful company or when it's hideously, when you've bought in now it's hideously overpriced and and you want to sell. And, you know, if you, everybody has a different opinion on when to sell, like in terms of overvaluation. You've bought in, you've made a good gain on paper. And now, oh, do I get out? You know, some people, I think both of us kind of sit more in the camp nowadays of just go along for the ride a little bit more. Yeah. If, if, you know, if you still see the future, obviously there's a point at which the stock price is so expensive that maybe even in 10 years from now, then the business still, if they keep growing, they won't have caught up to the current share price, <laughs> yeah. in which case you'll be like, oh, okay, you know, that's I'm getting a pretty good offer right now, Mr. Market. I might take take that offer. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can. 
I think I think that's yeah. Sell. It's up to you when you want to sell. When you when you're looking at a profit, some people have, take a modest profit. You know, it doesn't matter. You still won. You still made money. Well done. You win investing. Um, or if more more importantly, if if a business changes in a way where it's no longer high quality, then that's a telltale sign that you need to get out. Yeah, I definitely lean more towards Charlie Munger's wisdom on on selling based on price, which is that if it's still a great business, hold on to it. And and the idea behind mm. that is whenever I'm investing in a company, my estimation of intrinsic value, what it's worth is extremely conservative. That's that's part of our process. So if a business exceeds that, ex- if a great business exceeds that extremely conservative um, idea of what it's worth, we shouldn't really be surprised um, in my mm. opinion. And you shouldn't just assume that it is worth only as much as that extremely conservative approach that you took to valuation, that if a business that's a great company exceeds your expectations, that um, that you should should leave it in your portfolio um, and, and hold mm. on to great companies. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my my, my thoughts on, on that. Um, uh, you want to do this first one here? Yes, let's do it. Hey guys, a year ago, I've bought a company and I think it's a pretty good business. But since then, I've learned a lot about valuing a company and now realize that I've overpaid for it. It came back down to my estimated level of intrinsic value. And I was thinking if it's better to sell it at a 30% loss and invest that money in something better or just hold it and be patient since it's growing like I've estimated. Uh, What do you think about it? Hmm. This is a very interesting question. It's something that I haven't really thought about before. So you've thirty from from your estimations, you've overpaid by about thirty percent, um, and now it's the, it's come back down to what you actually do estimate your intrinsic value to be. I think you can take you can take kind of two approaches. There's there there is a case for selling if you can take advantage of some sort of tax loss harvesting. Um, you can lock in a loss if that benefits you from a tax perspective, but you, you'd need to check your, I'm not sure what country you're from, so you'd need to check your country's laws around tax loss harvesting. Um, but I think in Australia, for example, there just has to be like, or, or was that in the US? It has to be a 30-day period. might have been in the US. It has to be a 30-day period before yeah. you buy back in. So you can like harvest a loss, wait for 30 days and buy back in and, and, and they don't care. Um, yeah. So you can do that. Or alternatively- if you have done more digging and, and you know, you realize, ah, oh, crap, I should have bought it where it is now or maybe even cheaper than where it is now, but, you know, I paid overpaid 30% for it. You can still look, okay, is this business, is the growth trajectory, is it going to get there and surpass that price, you know, based on the business fundamentals? Is it going to get there eventually? Maybe it might take a few years, but is it going to get there? And if you still think it's a great business, then I, I wouldn't, Personally, again, not 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 financial advice in any way, but I wouldn't be rushing to sell something just because I overpaid a little bit for it. If I bought, say, a really high quality business and I paid a little bit too much for it, I probably wouldn't freak out because I bought a really high quality business. So I probably say, you know, I, I trust the management team. The numbers are looking good. The internal reinvestment is doing really well. Oh, I'll just hold on. Sure, it might take a while for me to get back. To, to where I was, but you know, I definitely don't think this company is in danger of of suffering in the long term, and and leading to a permanent loss of capital is probably the way to look about it. Look, look at it. Yeah. Um, what do you think? 
Yeah, I probably have pretty similar thoughts on that. Um, the only thing I would add is if in the question he said, um, should I invest that money in something better? If there oh, is, yes. yeah. if there is a, a an opportunity that you can see that is a really great business, still high quality business, but is at a much better price then and you don't have cash around that you want to invest because uh, even if you have a business that's at fair value, if it's a really great company, it's probably likely to do better than cash. So you want to deploy the cash first. But if you don't have any cash, uh, then maybe in that circumstance, you would kind mm. of consider doing that. Um I kind of had, I kind of did this actually in my portfolio in 2018, um, where I invested in Thor Industries. In the, and the first time I invested, I didn't invest a significant amount, but I was dipping my toes into it, uh, and uh, it fell, I think, about 30 or 40 percent relatively quickly. And it kind of made me realize um, or, or think, have I done something wrong? Did I did I do something wrong in my valuation? And it led me to do a lot more research into the company. And again, I, I reached a similar, similar conclusion to you that it was a great business, but that uh, my initial valuation was, was incorrect. It was too high. Uh, and in that case, I didn't actually have any alternative investments that I wanted to move that money into. So I continued to buy the stock as it fell uh, to lower my cost basis. And I was very fortunate that uh, I was that the stock fell significantly below intrinsic value. So I was eventually able to to kind of save it. But uh, who knows, you know, what's going to happen with the stock in the future? So uh, yeah, I think it all does come down to to that last bit of your question. If if there is a better investment opportunity where it's far below intrinsic value and it's still a great company, uh, then it it may make sense for for you to to make that that switch. Yeah. And just to, sorry to f- forget about that part of the question before, um, just to bring another example to the to the fore, um, Monish Prabhai, he recently invested quite, quite a bit into Alibaba. Alibaba then fell 40% and he has said he deliberately sold his Alibaba shares and locked in a, quite a big loss because he found something better. He wanted to put the money that he had in Alibaba into Tencent through process. So he decided, yes, he did take the tax loss harvesting. That's a benefit for him to offset a capital gain. But at the same time, he did find something better and he wasn't afraid to go, you know what? Sell, I'll lock in the loss because I've done the numbers and I think that this other company presents that much of a better opportunity that I'll more than you know, uh, make back what I have lost plus more uh, through this alternate investment. So Hmm. that's just another example I wanted to bring forward. But um, with that said, guys, I think uh, we shall wrap things things up. So thanks very much for listening as always. Um, Now, we are starting to get through our Q&A questions. So if you do have a question, uh, definitely go over to the YouTube version of the podcast and leave a comment and we'll drag your comments in and and talk about it probably in the next few episodes because we are starting to really get through these Q&A questions, which is good. Um, so yeah, head over, send us, send us a Q&A question or if there's a topic you want us to talk about, let us know. But apart from that, uh, we will hit the road. Thanks very much, Hamish, as always, for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, I'll have to go see the Batman now. Yeah, you will. I'll put that on my to-do list. Maybe, maybe in the next couple of days. Maybe over the weekend I'll go see mm. it. So anyway, we'll leave it there. Thanks, guys, very much for watching. And we'll see you or we'll talk to you guys next week. See you guys. 